Have you ever heard the expression, once in a blue moon? Well, this version of the Internet Advisor Roundtable is being recorded once in a blue moon. And uh, I'll explain that in just a minute. But with me right now is our uh, usual group of suspects, as they say. Uh, we've got Gary Baker, the Internet Advisor. Hi, Gary. How you doing? Hey, Buster. Glad to be here. And good to be with you as well. Mr. Edward Rudell. Eddie, how are you doing? Oh, great, Foster. How are you doing this evening? Good, very good. And Cal Carson, glad to have you here after that busy swap meet. We're going to hear about that at the uh, Mac Group meeting today. Once again, another great time here on the Internet Advisor. Hey, did you get any cool stuff at the swap meet, just quick? Well, you know, I I, I actually didn't acquire, no, no, I didn't acquire a thing at all, but I saw a bunch of cool stuff that I would have liked to add, but other people beat me to it. Ah, well, I and with a few more bucks, eh? Oh, that's exactly right. Oh man, let's get into some of our uh, topics for uh, the tech roundtable for this weekend. And uh, Gary, you know what? It's kind of a gimme, but I'll let you start off with the announcement about Ann Arbor and its digital prowess. Well, I'll tell you what. It's uh, you know, it, it is becoming uh, somewhat routine to talk about Ann Arbor. Uh, and uh, being one of the best digital cities in the country, it was named number six in its size category, which was the 75,000 to 125,000 uh, citizens. And uh, this is done by eRepublic, Center for Digital Government and Digital Communities Magazine. It's the 10th annual survey. Uh, so it's really nice to see uh, one of our cities, Ann Arbor, uh, be recognized as being one of those top ten cities. This is about digital government. So uh, this isn't about how many people are connected in this I particular case. This survey was what, what is the city of Ann Arbor doing to, oh. to you know, serve its citizens online? What else is happening in the public sector? So are they using social media, for instance? And in, in, in this particular case, they're talking about um, – Online payments for water bills, which is, you know, not yeah. absolutely new, but important. And yeah. one yeah. of the ways that they can add value, not making it, uh, you know, making it much easier for citizens to use the uh, city website. There's all sorts of other things that they talk about, but that's uh, that's one of the things that was highlighted in the report. Now, Gary, I, you know, we've we talked before to Terry Takai at one time, who was in our studios and was the uh, CF, uh, no, the uh, CIO for the state of Michigan. Went on to she, California she, then. She was actually the very first CIO oh, that we okay. had in the state of Michigan. Uh, Ken Tice uh, is the second, or was the second. He just resigned to take a private sector job. Uh, as the COO for DuPont in Lansing. Oh. Uh, but Terry went on to become, first of all, both, uh, you know, shepherded uh, the state government uh, through a number of different digital awards. And uh, then Terry went on to become the CIO for the state of California. And now she's the CIO for the Department of Defense in Washington. So, I had no idea that she had gone that. Boy, she kept on going up the line. Whew. And with the she, so she's a chief CIO for the Defense Department. Yes, our lives, our lives are in her hand. <laughs> Especially, well, we were talking about this before. Now, I, there's a lot of questions about the details in this, but Terry must be then involved in this big uh, article that has come out this last week about the. Chinese web hijacking. Eddie, you were a little more knowledgeable about that. You read some of that about the uh, 
alleged attacks. Yeah, apparently it took place last, not attacks, but uh, it took place last June. It took the government that long to be able to gather all the information. And um, all I, you know, from what I gleaned from the article, the U.S. government was basically dancing around the subjects saying that, you know, this event took place and the Chinese government said it was a, uh, they were running some tests on some of their banking systems for about 15 minutes and they accidentally rerouted a whole bunch of internet traffic to their site, um, you know, and it happened to be most government institutions and some banking institutions where uh, their data was uh, never reached its final destination but ended up in China. Yeah, the, um, uh, the article. Now, now, since then, the government is basically, U.S. government has downplayed it it's because of probably there's some politics going on, semantics going on back and forth. Yeah, and the Chinese are saying, no, we didn't. Some people say it may have been just a mistake. Yeah. Uh, but what I had down here in an article, by the way, we'll link to this in our show notes, from uh, MSE goes over to uh, a site called uh, the Red Tape Chronicles. It's part of MSNBC, and in there, uh, the author talks about some of the details, and you can read more about it. But it'll be interesting, Gary, if Terry Takai is going to be involved in uh, dealing with uh, stories like this and handling threats. Uh, from her position in the Defense Department. Sure, and we don't know that and probably will never know uh, yeah. if she is involved, if that goes through her group or if that is somehow um, in some other part of the, the security apparatus. So but you don't, I don't really know. It, they allegedly happened on April 8th uh, for 18 minutes, and there was yeah. about 53,000 websites, mostly government-related, that somehow may have had either... All, all had all of their or parts of their um, their traffic, their, their traffic yeah, that were outed. So it's hard to tell really what what that means and how they would actually do something like that yeah. unless they yeah. somehow control the domain name servers. And again, I don't think that you know any of us on this call nor listening to us tonight yeah. will ever know. Well, but really you know that. what it does though is it ratchets up that whole I think kind of a. a underlying uh, fear people have that uh, we're in an, in an era now of cyber warfare where, uh, for instance, I just heard the report today, I was just listening to uh, NPR, uh, giving a report on the Stuxnet, you know, that worm that came out that yeah. was uh, digging into, uh, well, it was apparently a just terribly effective worm. I, Ed, what I was hearing was that they're claiming that Israel um, is kind of tacitly, you know, they're they haven't come out and said yes, it's ours, but apparently, it's apparently they said they found that it's it's targeted at the centrifuges, uh, centrifuges, yeah. yeah, that are involved in these big nuclear facilities, particularly in Iran. Well, no, it was actually a month and a half ago there was an article about this virus being released um, that was tailored towards the specific. Uh, robotic controllers used in nuclear power plants that were, Iran was using. Yeah. Since then, they've narrowed it down, and they've actually been identifying that's used for specifically the centrifuges for enriching uranium that uh, the Iranian government uh, would have had to have used to enrich the uranium. One report so, I saw said that the Israelis, when they were asked if they were responsible for this, just smiled broadly and said nothing, <laughs> which makes you wonder just a little bit about uh, whether they were involved in it or not. Paranoia reigns. <laughs> well, let's move from paranoia to some fun. Cal, you had some fun out there today at the swap meet that happened at the Mac Group um, at the Birmingham Temple. I, just tell us a little bit about that because uh, I, it sounds like it was a whole lot of fun. Well, we hadn't done this in a, in a, in a very, very long time. Matter of fact, uh, this might have been the first one we've ever really formally did. 
And basically what we did is instead of uh, having our normal monthly meeting that we have where you come in and you, we have the genius table set up, uh, we have a main topic for the night, and uh, that sort of thing that we talk about, we decided that, hey, look, go and you look in your basement, find out what you got as far as computers and specifically stuff more uh, lean toward the Mac, although you could bring anything else you want to bring in as well. And you brought it in, you, you bought a table for 15 bucks. you set up your, your, your wares on the table, and you either buy, sell, or trade, whatever you had to, that you wanted to do. And, and it was really kind of fascinating because it was almost like being in a Wayback Machine because <laughs> you saw everything from current uh, equipment that people may have had in the Mac realm all the way back to, uh, I saw one of those little 9-inch uh, monochrome Mac uh, Classic 2s sitting on a desk that oh someone had uh, for sale. Well, so it was a wide, brained, uh, wide range of uh, things uh, to be seen and, and, and some really great buys because, uh, for example, if you had an older Mac uh, but you wanted to be able to have the ability to do uh, iChat and stuff on it, uh, the iSight cameras that would normally go about three or 400 bucks when they were brand new, uh, I, I, one guy I know picked up two of them for $60, and they work perfectly oh, fine. Oh. But so, if you go out on eBay today and try and find those same cameras, you'd, you'd have to pay about 150 bucks. Oh, so you got wow. a pretty good deal on them. Oh, he certainly did. So it sounds like it was pretty successful. Is this going to become like an annual event right before Thanksgiving, do you think? Yeah, I think it will end up being an annual event. Uh, a lot of people enjoyed doing it. Uh, a lot of people got a chance to be able to uh, – buy, sell, or trade uh, equipment, and, uh, and it worked out really, really well. So I think we'll probably do it as an annual event. It's like, yeah, it's like, it's like they had their own little preview to Black Friday, Eddie. Yeah. <laughs> so like it, was Black, it was Black Friday, but with a used twist to it. But, uh, but, but I got I to admit, I did come across at least four or five pieces of software still hermetically sealed in their wrappers. Ooh. And, uh, you know, like, for example, uh, a particular guy ended up buying a copy of Photoshop, like, five. And I asked him, you know, what was he going to run it on? He says, I'm not going to run it on anything. I can go to Adobe and say, hey, I have a licensed copy of Photoshop five. I want to upgrade to the new version of Photoshop, and I'll be able to buy it for a lot less than oh, if I had paid full price. Very clever. <laughs> so as long as you can buy a licensed copy that hasn't already been, you know, used or anything like yeah, that. Yeah. Hey, you can save yourself a ton of money, and that's a lot. Of, those are the sort of things that people try to take advantage of at the swap meets. I gotcha. Hey Ed, uh, let's just take off. Uh, uh, he's talking about. Uh, Cal was talking about the uh, the range of historical items at the swap meet. This is an historic today. Our the day we're recording our Internet Advisor Roundtable uh, Tech Roundtable is uh, not only a blue moon, <laughs> but it's all, it's also the 25th anniversary of the Microsoft operating system. Am I right on that? Uh, Microsoft Windows, yeah. So Windows. November 20th, Windows. 1985, Microsoft introduced its first version of Windows 1.0, and it really didn't make so much of a splash. To uh, it, it just sort of like people really didn't pay attention to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, at, that, uh, at that time, was Apple in ascendancy? I mean, I, I, I don't know what was going on around me. Gary, you were around the Internet at that time? <laughs> Well, if you recall, DOS was was big from Microsoft, and certainly Apple had the opportunity to be uh, the number one operating system at the time. Uh, it turned out not to be the case. As we all know, Windows 1.0 
didn't take off. Uh, if you look at the article and you look at the interface at the time, you can see that it was very cluttered. You could see why it wasn't going to take off. Yeah. We didn't. It didn't really uh, capture our imagination until it more closely emulated uh, the Mac OS. Uh, at, that, at that time, Apple OS, uh, and that was 3.1, 3.0, and then 3.1 was was really what uh, what took off, if you recall. Now, guys, we, we talk, excuse me, Eddie, but we talk about the GUI or the graphic user, uh, user interface. When did that come into the process with these Microsoft uh, operating systems? I believe, if you want to look at it, it would probably be in the year 1990 was when Windows 3.0 came out. Ah, okay. And uh, 3.1 came out shortly thereafter, and then Windows for Workgroups came after that. Um, and you know, but at the time, you know, I'm sure Apple had a graphical user interface, and I know Xerox did too, because Xerox actually came up with the with the uh, the GUI interface. And there was also was it Geos, also had an, uh, a graphical interface too, but none of those really took off. Microsoft's the one that really uh, everyone latched onto. I mean. Are, you know, except for the Apple now, OS. Ask me, answer me this question, since you guys, will, I sound much more familiar with that time. Why was it, and Gary, you seem to have some hook on this, and, and Cal will be interested from your perspective, too. Why was it that Apple didn't take over when it was out there ahead of the game with a more user-friendly kind of an interface? Cal, you I, want to take a stab at that one? You know, it, it all comes down to um, in my opinion, from what I, I viewed it, is that whether or not people wanted to pay the price at that particular time. Uh, at that time in, in, in history, uh, I would have to agree with Gary, the price for Apple products were very, very aggressive at that time. And uh, it, it made it, uh, it, it didn't take off as big in the enterprise as, as, as maybe uh, the IBMs did because everyone knew that IBM mainframes. So it's like if you buy IBM, you don't have to ever worry about did you make that bad buy. With Apple, Apple was more of a niche at that time, and because of that, uh, they they took a, a a longer and I think a deeper approach at being able to create a GUI that was really 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 uh, user friendly. So it was it was really really good. The problem is is that it wasn't really really cheap, and everybody wanted. It inexpensive, and because of that, I think that's what kept them from uh, taking off as big as they, they probably could have been. Yeah, I think Cal's, Cal's right. You know, Apple has always very tightly coupled the hardware and the software, uh-huh. where when where Microsoft always had this uh, the, the business model that we don't care who builds the hardware, we're going to provide the operating system for any hardware. Uh, and I think because of that, the hardware could get a lot cheaper. There was a lot of competition in the hardware space that then drove the entire cost of the system down, where with Apple, they really wanted to go out create a very good consumer user interface, consumer product, didn't have the security, didn't have some of the, remo- the um, ability to manage from an enterprise standpoint, uh, and didn't, quite frankly, Pay attention, much attention to the licensing mm-hmm. that was going on in the in the enterprise. They were more interested in the consumer market. Not a bad philosophy, just very different. And obviously, it costs a little bit more because of that. Well, Ed, you've got a website that you, uh, and we're going to put that into our show notes that has 
the the history was it the history of these screens what they look like what it's, Microsoft's yeah, it, yeah it's a virtual or a visual tour of 25 years of Windows and all the different versions of Windows from 1.0 to the Windows 7 version Wow. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, like the Wayback Machine looking at all these. <laughs> um, and I, I'm just looking at these, you know, when were viruses introduced? And I'm thinking, boy, viruses were introduced probably in Windows for Work groups and Windows 95. And, you know, we saw our first spyware and adware in Windows, you know, in Windows 98, you know, and, uh, about those time frames. And then malware would come in around Windows XP, you know. If yeah. we were to track the evolution of yeah. Windows, I mean, I, I can think back in my history providing tech support, and including for Terry Takai, I used to provide her executive support, removing viruses and malware and spyware off their computers. And yeah, actually, so. Ed, if you recall, it was when I took over for Terry yeah. at EDS on the GM account that you and I met. That's just, so. I just feel far too <laughs> old now. <laughs> Terry, Terry had the same job I did, or I had the same job she did right after her, so. Yes. Yeah. Um, but it was when when we met, and and while this was happening back in the Windows, you know, three one three three point oh three point one, you have to re- have to remember this was prior to the World Wide Web portion of the internet, you know, even existing or at least taking off. So uh, this was uh, before most people started using the internet. Oh, that's only a few people that were using Gopher and some of the other, you know, Usenet was big at that time, and, and you yep. could still FTP files around, file transfer protocol files around, but we weren't using websites. No, we were doing bulletin boards and Usenet. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. So anyway, Eddie, uh, we'll put that link up because it gives a kind of a, a visual history of uh, yeah. Microsoft and what we've seen on our screens. Um I, I don't know. Are, there, are any of you guys Beatles fans? You know, or well, of course. <laughs> and the best part is that my kids are. <laughs> <laughs> and, they, and then I start, you know, humming along or something. My my son goes, "Oh, Dad, is it that old? Do you know this song too?" <laughs> you know, Gary, it'd be, Gary, it'd be a lot more fun if you take them down in the basement and show them those big black CDs that play on both sides. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, well, what do you think? What do you think the significance is? I can't. I'm just curious from your point of view, from Apple's point of view, of you know, kind of making a big deal about the fact that the Beatles are now on iTunes and can be downloaded. By the way, the audio files would say that those big two-sided CDs are far better, uh, provided they haven't been scratched too badly. Well, you know, I think a little history is in order here because remember, Apple. Is that was actually the record label that the Beatles released under? Oh, you're right. And and there was a moratorium that that basically Apple could continue using the name Apple Computers if they never distributed music. Oh, you're kidding. That's so. And so basically, Apple Records in the UK sued Apple years ago when they started distributing iTunes. And uh, and basically, I'm not sure how that ended up, but basically, they said we shall never let you distribute Beatles music on there until this is settled. Until you pay up, because you basically have broken your contract. And uh, so apparently it's taken over 10 years, if not more, for them to actually come to an agreement to distribute the Beatles uh, media. Isn't that, isn't that what you understand, Cal, with, all, with the history of all this? I had heard something to that particular effect before. Uh, I, I thought it was lore, to be honest with you, but evidently it must be true, because 
Ed Rudell said it. And, uh, just <laughs> and I say it with such conviction. Becoming an expert. Saying it with conviction. That's a trick to becoming an expert. But, uh, it, it is it, all about the money, isn't it, Ed? Uh, yeah, it is. It, it is, is about the money when you, when you boil it down to it. I mean, after all, uh, the Beatles were very successful. They're very influential on the uh, music culture of uh, not only the uh, Britain and, and the United States, but or the world, for that matter, and because of that, people uh, people love the Beatles, and because of that, you know, I, I can see why Apple would want to have the in their collection, because uh, once you got that on iTunes, I'm sure there's tons and tons, and Gary's attested to it right now that his uh, kids themselves are now saying, "Hey, I, I'd like to get Beatle tunes." So right. that's a lot of audience out there to pull down music and uh, at uh, yep. 99 cents a tune. That's yeah, and there's only one and a half Beatles left, so they had to do something. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's still somebody around. A um, half Beatle? Are you talking about this star? Ringo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's terrible. They say that about me. Oh, my Lord. Imagine that he is the one that's left. Hey, uh, I was going to chime in on something that I, I talked to people about uh, on, uh, I think it was a couple of roundtables ago, and that was about the fact that I was so delighted that the new version of Skype, and we're recording this, folks, by the way, on Skype. And today, my presence sounds a little different because I'm using the microphone that is on the camera that I have on my wife's Windows PC. So I'm running Windows 7, and I'm running the latest version of Skype on there. And um, and it seems to be working well. I'm using a new uh, uh, Skype recorder, MP3 Skype recorder, and I'm praying that it continues to work as we're going along here. But one of the things I wanted to report to you people who have maybe on the Mac have tried using the new Skype 5, I think it's 5.0, isn't it, uh, Cal, for um, for Mac? I think it's 5.0 uh, for Mac. It's still very buggy. Now, they have said it's beta, and that means you do it, you use it at your own risk. And uh, I have found that it's still very buggy, uh, but the recorder that I use with that is put out by a company called Ecamm, did do an upgrade. However, they said, don't record anything you really want to keep with this because <laughs> there are still too many bugs in the uh, Skype for the, the newest Skype for Mac. So that's I'm just putting that out there as a, as a warning, as a caveat for you folks that I, I very enthusiastically said, oh, try this out. I've had to step back. I've had to go back to a previous version of Skype in order to be able to continue to use it to do interviews because I uh, will get this death loop of audio and have to literally shut down the machine and start it up again. So there are lots of bugs to work out in that. Gary, I wanted to get back and talk to you about something that on our three-hour program last weekend we talked about. We had somebody in to talk about the Emerging Michigan Conference, which happened midweek. You were a, a big part of that. Can you give us a, a little report on what happened there? Well, I was actually a very small part of that. I was on the executive board, uh, and the uh, chairman of the executive board, Terry Cross, was our guest last week. Uh, he was also the MC for Michigan Emerging, which was on the 17th. Um, I'm sure we will have another one. Uh, it went exceedingly well. Mike Finney, who's the president and CEO of Ann Arbor Spark, was there with a, a couple of big announcements. Uh, and a guy that I think is going to join us uh, on the 4th 
we're going to have a live show on the 4th of December. Mm-hmm. And Rishi Jaitley uh, is the founder and CEO of Michigan Corps. And he's a New York native, but he's adopted um, Michigan as his uh, as his new home. Mm-hmm. Uh, his wife is from Michigan. He's a former Google executive, and he's formed a national nonprofit that's intent is to boost Michigan's economy and create wealth for its residents. And he's bringing philanthropy from around the country, people that have started here and moved away to, you know, make their fame and fortune, they are um, uh, part of this group that he is trying to energize to come help Michigan. Uh, So he was on, uh, as one of the keynote speakers, Rob Fowler, who is president of National, I'm sorry, of uh, SBAM, the Small Business Association of Michigan, was on. there was a great uh, – Todd McCracken, uh, who is the president of National Small Business Association, came in from Washington for the event. There were 30,000 uh, entrepreneurial events that were all recorded as part of the Global Entrepreneurs oh, Week right. last that's week. Right. Mm-hmm. And there were 10 that were key, you know, keynote kind of, um, of events, right. and we were – uh, this was one of the featured ten out of the thirty thousand. So it was it was yeah. truly remarkable. They had a guy from from uh, who was a former U of M uh, and then an NBA basketball star. He's on uh, ESPN as a color analyst. Uh, Tim McCormick uh, lives uh, here in Michigan, and uh, you know, the, kind of a little guy at seven feet. Uh, uh, it was just it was amazing how he caught up in the entrepreneurial spirit of it all and and really had uh, a a great event so a great event all the way around i'm sure we'll i'm sure we will do it again just kind of quickly gary i know uh for the sake of our audience not very long discussion but i mean i know that one of the things that we talked about was the idea of getting entrepreneurs together with the people who were the angel investors and some of the bigger groups of investors. Did you see that kind of thing happening where where the money was getting connected to the people with the ideas? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first of all, there was a whole panel discussion, so there were a lot of people with money that were at the event. Uh, and then, uh, and, and again, Terry Cross, who is the founder of Windward Associates and our guest last week, uh, was the moderator for the Finding Capital uh, panel discussion. Uh, but, you know, there were there were not only you know people approaching the funding sources, but all sorts of uh, of activity, all sorts of uh, management uh, personnel that uh, and and partnerships that were being formed. So you could just see business discussions popping up here and popping up there, and people getting excited about some of the tables right. of technology okay. that Good. were going on. That was exciting, and that's why I was hoping to have a report on that. There was there's some real activity taking uh, place there, where ideas uh, yep. were getting some money behind them, and and things were going to get moving. At well, least the start of that was happening, and obviously will continue now for because you know finding money is not an event; it's a process. So. Oh yes, absolutely, and keeping that money and turning it into employment for people here in Michigan, and and that's what it's really all about. Hey Eddie, I wanted to ask you before uh, you know we wrap things up here this uh, this evening on the uh, Internet Advisor Roundtable, and thank you guys for uh, again for joining. Was there anything else that you had that you've seen this week that you wanted to report on? 
Well, it, we were going to discuss about the Microsoft Connect and its game. Oh, and it's really taken off. Hey, but uh, some people tell people what Connect is. Basically, it is a um, a device that connects to your Xbox 360 from Microsoft uh, for gameplay. It works with their Connect uh, Adventure games or Dance Revolution games that they're distributing. It's about for 150 bucks. Um, pretty much, I think they're sold out. Um, yeah. Although yeah. we're going to probably, Same. hopefully, by after Thanksgiving, they'll come up with another batch. They, Eddie, they sold a million units in the first ten days. That's incredible. But what's so, isn't what's so special about this, Ed, is that you don't need, like with the Wii, you have to have special paddles and things like that to make things happen in the game. This particular device uses, lets yeah, you it use uses just, a camera. It uses a camera, and, it, and you use your own just physical gestures to make things happen. Yes. Yeah, as, as part of the game, you would use physical gestures like running and dancing, and it, it has uh, face recognition software, so when you walk up to your Xbox 360, it should automatically recognize you and log in. Um, of course, there's a little bit of stuff going on right now because they're having the same thing that HP had uh, two years ago when HP released their Connects in that it doesn't work well with dark-skinned people. So they're calling really? Oh, no. So, you know, so you have to be in a well-lit room, but... It will catch, uh, you know, all your motions and actions in, in a well-lit room. So, I mean, I know that the lady that I carpool with down to the Renaissance Center, her and her family went out and picked one up because they went to the store, and their son, who's a little overweight, um, w- spent 20 minutes in the store, and he came out wringing wet. <laughs> and, and, and he just could not stop doing it. I mean, he wow. he was just running around and dancing, and and, and every and so for them, they're looking at it as, a, as an opportunity to Absolutely. interact with the TV and the games at a different level. I've seen people talk about the Wii that way as being an important part of a, a health, uh, a healthy, uh, you know, just a health program for the family because it gets kids active, which is a, a real challenge. And then this is, again, you don't sit around with this um, game console. You really need to get up and get involved in it. So that's wonderful. And well, I think I, it does have a microphone built into it. Mm-hmm. So um, at some point in the future, that could be tied into it. So I could see uh, this going into Rock Band very easily um, at some future release. Oh, uh, oh. Now, there's already some people out there that have already uh, not so much hacked it. I wouldn't call it hack the uh, Microsoft Connects, but they've already written drivers for it to work on Unix systems and Microsoft systems um, so that you can, um, you know, like those uh, uh, virtual desktops that yeah. they have, mm-hmm. uh, like the Microsoft table. Mm-hmm. So you could uh, now, they've written this thing so you don't have to touch the table or anything, Whoa. that you can use your own hand gestures and move things around in your desktop. See, now, haven't we, no, this is, you got to watch the, the, the um, NCIS, uh, you know, the NCIS Los Angeles and some of these other, um, oh, CSI programs where they've got yep. all this fancy computers. Now that instead of having to touch the screen, they're just to stand back and they'll just point at something that'll happen. Exactly. It's like a virtual reality and like that movie that <laughs> uh, Tom Cruise was in. Oh, yes. And I don't recall the name right now. But uh, uh, he's actually in a virtual rea- manipulating his environment with his hands and body right. gestures. And, right. and, and that, that's the intent of hacking this unit because all, everything's there for them to do that. All you have to do is write an interface to connect to your Mac or your PC. Wow, it's fascinating. Hey, Cal, speaking of Macs, uh, maybe you can wrap things up because I understand that you had a chance this week to get your hands on uh, something that we hope, by the way, Dave Sawyer from Microsoft will be able to be on the air with us uh, I think it's our second show in December, December the 11th. We're hoping to be on after the uh, MSU basketball game, uh, maybe a little later on on that Saturday night. But he's bringing in some of the toys 
that uh, our tablets, as well as the Windows 7 phone, you got a chance to get your hands on an HP tablet this week. Uh, tell me something about what you experienced with that. Yeah, uh, this this past week, matter of fact, uh, HP did a uh, a demo of some of their their new new products down in the Renaissance Center, and one of the products that they have down there was the HP Slate, which is their new tablet device that runs the Windows 7 operating system. And from what I heard, it may in the near future, and, and Ed could probably uh, uh, elaborate on it, uh, run the old the the Palm OS operating system on it. Oh, well. Web OS, yeah, Web OS, yeah. Web OS. Um, interesting device, uh, definitely in my opinion suited for the enterprise, and um, but uh, I, I have mixed feelings on it, and, and the only reason that I have mixed feelings on it is because it is a device that only has two gigabytes of memory in it, and it's running Windows Seven. And Windows uh, Seven itself wants two gigabytes of yeah, memory, yeah, and yeah. then so if you run any other applications, it's going to be a little bit of a challenge with it, and I'm sure. After a while, they, they, they may rethink that and expand the amount of memory that they have in it. Not a bad-looking device, uh, relatively nice weight on it. Uh, it's interesting, uh, but definitely, I would say, suited more toward the enterprise. Yeah, so uh, is that the main difference then? But you've had your hands on an iPad, haven't you? And, yes, I have. So in, in comparing the two of them, would you say then that the iPad is more of the consumer end and the HP Slate more of the enterprise end? Is that how you're kind of see, distinguishing? Right off the bat, that would be my quickest way of distinguishing the yeah. two, only because for the iPad, there's not been a lot written yet uh, from an enterprise standpoint right. with it. But the fact that it basically runs the same operating system, the iOS operating system that the iPhone runs, and with the new iPhone 4, which is now more enterprise-related uh, because you can deal with exchange servers and that sort of thing, I, I, I feel it's going to come on more as it comes along. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the thing that I don't like to do or that I, or that I find a lot of people doing is they say, oh, oh, and I wrote this in my blog last Friday uh, at macgroup.org slash blog. Um, people always say, well, it, it does all the stuff that iPad does, and it does these things that the iPad doesn't do. And, and I go like, well, that's fine. Because the iPad was designed to do one thing, and this device was designed to do something else. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, not a, it's not an issue of comparing them like that. Right, However, right. in the case of the Galaxy made by Samsung that runs the Android operating system on it, uh-huh. that one is more closer to what I would call an iPad maybe contender. Okay, uh, because that's, excuse me, uh, pardon me, uh, Cal, that's a little smaller than the iPad, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's, a, it, it, it's, it's 11 it's, inches? It's actually oh. about the same size as the slate. Uh, the slate's oh, okay. a little bit longer and a little okay. bit wider, but uh, but it's it, it's it, the uh, Galaxy is smaller than the iPad. Uh, some people like it better that way, but the, 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 the one thing I do like about the Galaxy that I thought was really cool that they did is that they've designed it to work on multiple carriers. So you can get one for Verizon, you can get one for Sprint, you can get one for uh, T-Mobile, whatever it is. So uh, they're not going to just lock it to one carrier. It'll be uh, across multiple carriers. So do you figure that that smaller machine, again, which one was that, the Galaxy, did you say? Yes. The, uh, That's the Galaxy by Samsung. Where where do you see that fitting in? We, we talked about you know the iPad being consumer, uh, sleeping enterprise. So where does the Galaxy fit in there then? 
I think the Galaxy is a closer to a consumer device okay. than it is Enterprise, but I mean, with the Android operating system, as they write more applications for the Enterprise, yep. I think it could go that way. I would rather use the Galaxy in, in, in a consumer standpoint than the Enterprise, only because it's a smaller footprint, and the, the size of the screen makes a lot uh, especially when you're dealing with enterprise-type applications. I think you need more screen space. Guys, I want to thank you very much for being here for the uh, Internet Advisor Tech Roundtable once again. Gary Baker, good having you along board. My pleasure. All right. And Eddie Riddell, thanks for being there as well. Have a great evening, all. Yeah, Cal Carson, thank you. For our Internet Advisor Tech Roundtable, my name is Foster Brown, wishing you a very, very good afternoon. And we'll see you online on the Internet Advisor.